So uh, we are in um, Psalm 116, as Kayon just read, and our title for today's message is Preserved to Praise. Preserved to Praise. <clears throat> so to start things off with a question, uh, have you ever uh, made a decision in your life or a choice um, that just kind of spiraled out of control? The situation just kind of got way out of hand. Whether it was like, you know, a, a, a business deal that just went south, a financial investment that, that just got sticky, or relationship that just went out of hand, or your health just uh, uh, got, got out of hand uh, after making a, a choice. Uh, f- uh, for me, um, as of late, it was, you know, deciding whether or not I should try to attempt to save uh, this volleyball um, spike against a professional. Even, even, even though I knew uh, that we were going to lose the game anyways, I never thought in my mind that I would get a concussion, be off screens, do physio, wear earplugs, and wear sunglasses indoors for six months. And the hard part for all these situations is that sometimes when we make these choices, or most of the time that we make these choices, they're not even sinful. You check God's word and you're like, yeah, like this checks all the boxes. I'm not sinning in any way here. This doesn't break any of God's commands. This is a great opportunity. But the situation just goes from zero to 100. And it's only in God's mercy that we can come out of those situations okay. How do you respond to God after these kinds of situations when he rescues you or saves you from them? I'm sure every Christian has um, that thankful, that timely, that therapeutic song they sing for those times. Thankful because the lyrics uh, uh, communicate and illustrate what you went through and how you felt much better than you can pen down yourself. Timely because uh, you can sing this song after the situation and even during the next one and therapeutic because it still brings comfort and joy to you. Here are some photos of some artists that I really like in a song that have blessed me over the years. Uh, Rent Collective's a song, Whatever Comes, is, is, is one of them for me. Uh, it Is Well by Horatio G. Spafford. And one of my favorites is uh, Marvin Sapp's uh, Never Would Have Made It. That would have been an amazing closing song uh, for this message as well. And if you haven't heard that song, please listen to it on the way home. The lines that really stick out to me are, I'm stronger, I'm wiser, I'm better, much better. That that, that after we've made it out of the situation, there, there is this natural response we have, which is to worship and give thanks. To get some context in this psalm, as Pastor Chris uh, preached a couple weeks back, uh, Psalm 113 to 118 are called the Egyptian halals. Hallelujah means to praise Yahweh, to praise God. Halals just means to praise. These are Egyptian praises. They are songs that look back and remember the salvation that God brought the people of Israel and freeing them from slavery in Egypt. Yet, in light of that act of God, the psalmist is calling for Israel to sing now. This is an Israel way past Exodus, way past Judges. This is an Israel that has returned from exile in Babylon. 
This is one of those songs that they can sing that thanks God for both his past and his present mercies. A couple questions we can ask ourselves is what feeds your affection and worship of God? Do you believe and depend on God during your hard seasons and experiences? And how do you respond after God has handled these situations? Our big idea and the main thing I want you to understand by the end of this message is this on the screen for you. uh, That God's mercy towards us warrants a lifelong affection, dependence, and praise of him. That God's mercy towards us warrants a lifelong affection, dependence, and praise of him. There are three questions that flow out of our text today that get answered that should encourage these three things. Affection, dependence, and praise. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into our first points of this morning. Uh, So Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it has everything that pertains to life and godliness. And I just pray, O Lord, that your spirit may work powerfully in me uh, to share what you have been teaching me through this psalm throughout this week, and that it be a blessing to all who hear, both here and online. So I pray this all in your name. Amen. All right, so our first question is, um, why do we love? Or why do we love God? And the answer is because God heard. You can look with me in verses uh, one to four of Psalm 116. It says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live, The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of shale laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. This on a first glance uh, seems like a selfish claim uh, uh, that the believer loves God because of what God has done for him. But fortunately for us, God is actually okay with that. You see, God has every right as our creator to command and demand love without doing any act of kindness towards us at all, but that's not who he is. Uh, uh, John gets it right when he says that God is love, and God is kind enough to not just simply give us a mandate for our affection, but also gives us a reason why we can love him, a reason why we can have affection to him, and that's because he's heard our pleas for mercy. Our our affection on God is not contingent on the things that he can do for us that temporarily make us happy, but our affection for God is based on him intervening in our dire need. God's intervention is called mercy. It's receiving what we do not, or sorry, not receiving what we do deserve. You see, we must not forget that God's kindness towards us is not something that we're owed, but something that we should never actually receive. And it says that God has heard these cries for mercies. In Psalm 115, you can just look at verses 4 to 6, speaking of the the gods that the other nations worship, their idols are silver, silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. What created thing do you trust in? What created thing has your affection and 
time, what reserves the top shelf in your room and hearts, even though it can't love, care, and help you in your specific dire times of need. God, on the other hand, is able to hear us. Uh, the, the, the language is not like when someone, you know, is, is frustrated with you and they're like, what? Speak up. Can't hear you. What, what, what did he say? Or what do you want? But more like a family member or nurse who is caring for you, leaning over the sickbed. You can barely speak, so they're coming close to you to hear what you have to say. What do you need? How can I help? What's going on? Tell me more. God inclines his ear to us. He's leaning forward. He's coming close. He's stooping down. It's, it's estimated uh, that there are about 2.6 billion people on the planet uh, that profess to be Christians. And it's uh, assumed that they pray three times, at least three times a day. That means there's about 7.8 billion prayers prayed to God on a daily basis. And he's able to distinguish your voice and answer you and show you mercy. I, I love when a group of people, uh, of Christians come together. They, they come to pray together out loud, but all at the same time. I get really encouraged by that. I myself try my best to drown everyone out. It sounds messed up to me, but to God, He's able to intently hear every single syllable, letter, word perfectly and show us mercy. In verses three to four, what is he um, mercifully doing or hearing from the psalmist? He says, the snares of death encompass me. The pangs of shale laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. We don't know exactly what the psalmist is going through, but here he, 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 as he, as, as he writes this, this psalm, but the language is generic, probably on purpose, so that we as individuals can point to the situations in our lives where something like this has happened, but it also unites us corporately as well. The language is like a hunter who has caught his prey, right about to catch it, the animal is surrounded, about to be led into a snare, to be caught, trapped, and killed. The psalmist is either experiencing some kind of severe illness or just going through some kind of grievous experience in his uh, life. You see, suffering, consequences, and death can feel like it's targeting us. It hasn't yet claimed us, but it's close. We're in checkmates. And, and knowing that it's near causes great anxiety and sorrow in our lives. Some of us, it can be like shingles. Loss of sleep, weight gain or loss, hair loss, weakness, trembling. You can't concentrate when these things are happening. The situation is so bad that no one other than God can turn it around. The psalmist finds his very soul, his very being, his emotional, psychological state in danger. He mentions shale, which is the realm of the, the, the dead. He's not naturally heading towards shale or death, but death is in a sense coming for him. He feels trapped, and it's only a matter of time before 
He's a goner. Jonah actually uses the same language when he prays from the belly of the whale. In chapter 2, when he, when he cried out to God, the psalmist's prayer is simple. Oh, Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. God will need a sermon to hear our cries for mercy. As long as you have breath, it's not too late to call out on God. He hears and he answers. It's because of this that the psalmist and us who receive God's mercy have a good and logical reason to have affection and love towards God, not just with our heads, but with our hearts as well. Again, he says in verse 2, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I'll call on him as long as I live. Some of your Bibles may say all my days. God has shown himself to, to be someone who is both caring and co compassionate, dependable, that it makes sense with our hearts and our minds to not just see God as a last resort, but to have him in exclusive trust, to exclusively depend on God. To call on the name of the Lord can mean both praise, but also prayer. The Psalms are saying that because of God's mercy, his phone only needs one number on it. To call in both his worship and in his desperation. Prayer is an opportunity for us to be loved by God, as well as an opportunity for us to grow in our love towards God as well. The Christian who depends on God will grow to love prayer as well. What is the command for the people of Israel and a command for us as Christians today to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's something that is also fostered in the hearts because of God's mercy toward us. Christians have, again, logic and reason for our love towards God, not in a sense of taking him for granted, but again, exclusively resolving to trust and depend on God in all seasons of our lives because he's proven himself compassionate and faithful and dependable. So why do we love? We love because God has heard. And our second question we see in our text is, why did God hear us? Why did he pay us any mind? And that's because of his character. In verse 5, it says, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. In verses 1 to 4, you may have noticed that the word Lord is in all capitals. He's already said this name of the Lord three times. And he's going to say it another 13 times for the rest of this psalm. You see, uh, uh, the psalmist is not just affectionate because of what God has done. The psalmist is affectionate because of who God is is as well. Those four letters, Lord, is, is God's name, Yahweh. It's the revealed name that was given to Moses at the burning bush. I am who I am. That, that, that God is who he said he is and what he has done, that he is faithful, that he's promise-keeping, that his actions can speak for themselves, and that his words are an extra guarantee. The psalmist loves this, and he loves God who is consistent. He calls Yahweh gracious and righteous, merciful. So many Bibles may say compassionate instead of merciful. You know, and that, and that shouldn't really make sense, that God can encapsulate all these characteristics at the same time. How do you show favor, do the right thing, and excuse the deserving? See, God's grace forgives and enables favorable treatment 
His righteousness enables him to act rightly and just, and the psalm sums it up as God's mercy. I love the way uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, puts it. He says this up on the screen for you. He says, a sword of justice is scabbarded in a jeweled sheath of grace that God in his wisdom and power is able to both forgive and judge and punish sinners. God's intervention does the right thing, but it also lets some people experience his kindness undeserved like you and me. In verses 6 to 11 now, it says, The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. It says in verse 6 that God preserves the simple. That word here means a, a vulnerable, gullible, you know, overly trusting. That they should know better, but they sort of don't at the same time. Uh, here are two verses up on the screen for you to help, uh, uh, to, to show you what I mean. So in, in, in Psalm 19, as a psalmist speaks of God's word, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul the testimony, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And then in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3, it says, the prudent sees danger and hides himself. He, does, he, does, he acts wisely. But the simple go on and suffer for it. The psalmist seems to have gotten into a situation again that simply just, just spiraled way out of control for him. Idols can't tend to our needs and in our distress, but here even people seem to have failed him. He says in his alarm, all mankind are liars. He, he over-exaggerates the state of humanity, but it's kind of right at the same time because people fail us, even those who love us. But the psalmist says, I believed. Uh, you see, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is. He doesn't say Yahweh won't, or Yahweh isn't, or Yahweh can't. But belief amidst doubt is still faith. If anything, faith is even more refined when there is ample reason to doubt. But we still, again, believe in God's character and his promises. People failing us shouldn't steer us away from God. It should actually pull us close and remind us that there's only one Yahweh. There's only one who is fully faithful to his promises and actions that are guaranteed by his word, even though humans' words fail their actions. Has a failure of people led to your disbelief of God? Or has your trust in people disillusioned your belief in God? You see, the optimist needs to understand that the, re the reality of human failure and the pessimist, like me, must understand that God is worthy of our trust even when others fail us. I love this quote from uh, Dennis Baggett, former elder here and pastor at uh, uh, Hope Church Toronto North. He says, when we do not pray, we are either omnipotent or foolish. And our psalmist prays he believes and God heard. 
how do you respond when someone gets themselves into their own mess? And how do you respond when you feel like they walked right into it in, in the first place? They didn't heed your warning. You say, good. Figure it out yourself. And what did you learn? Let this be a lesson for you. If you don't hear, you must feel. Ganyans just say, "Uh uh-huh. But the lesson that Yahweh teaches us is his consistent mercy. This separates him from other religions that want you to learn the hard way, even if you didn't commit any sin in the decision that you made. Or are you perhaps the reason why someone needs to cry out and plead to God in the first place? I know I've been. In verse 7, he says, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. The psalmist is kind of speaking to himself now to simmer down because God has heard. That it's, that it's all right. But I also think this, this is a verse uh, that, that we can say when we're in trial, that we've gone through something like this before and God was still faithful, that he's done far beyond what we've ever, ever expected. You see, to deal bountifully uh, means to give generously on the basis of blessing, to receive gifts and favors from someone continuously. The, 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 the psalm is teaching us that God's past mercies can also quell current anxieties. Again, these are the songs I remember, uh, the rescue that God did for the people of Israel. He's dealt bountifully with them. He's even returned them back from exile in Babylon as well. And if God does deal with our current anxieties, it restores us and brings us back to a place of thankfulness and gratitude where we have rest in peace. Again, God's mercy it warrants the lifelong affection of dependence and praise to him. In verse 8 now, you can look with me there. He says, for you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. The psalmist says that Yahweh has delivered uh, the things that I run to in my distress only tends to temporarily cope, temporarily run away and avoid a situation or experience. If anything, it keeps me in my feelings, keeps me brooding odor, o- over or wallowing in the motions. But Yahweh delivers. He carries out. He fulfills what he wants to do. He's able to remove us from what is causing the very sorrow and anguish in the first place. He doesn't give us a soother, but he removes what is causing us grief. He doesn't just redirect us and put us on a whole new path to walk on, but he strengthens us first. He rescues us from from, from drooping and makes our next steps clear and straight. From a fetal position, a dragged feet way of living, God's mercy is able to let us experience joy to walk in the land of the living, a, a land where life happens, a place of those who receive mercy. You see, when God saves us from something, when he spares us from something, he's also saving us towards something as well. To walk before the Lord in the land of the living is to 
is to behave in light of your new reality. I'm on the screen for you is a couple of verses. When, a- when Abraham reached uh, 99, Pastor Ted preached on this in Genesis 17, a uh, couple last month, I believe. Uh, God encourages Abraham of his promise of a son, nation, and blessing, and gives him the sign of cir- circumcision. But after changing his name, God says this, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. When God rescues the people of Israel and they make it to Mount Sinai, before God gives them the Ten Commandments, he says this to them. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for the earth is mine. And, and us, when we place our faith in Jesus and receiving the blessing of forgiveness, Paul prays this in thanking God for the gospel that has come to the church of Colossae in Colossians 1, which is the next slide for you. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. God's rescue towards us enables us to now live life and walk without shame since he has rescued us from death and has given us life. He has granted us life to continue living as we are, as we should, as we are supposed to, to kind of go and sin no more. It is who God is, and he loves to do this. Again, God's mercy, it warrants us to live a life, have a lifelong affection, dependence, and praise of God. So we looked at why do we love? We looked at uh, why did God hear? And so our final question for today's message is how do we then respond? How do we respond to God's mercy? And that is with devotion and praise. In verses 12 to 14, it says this, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. That question that he says in verse 12, it isn't rhetorical. God's mercy to us said warrants something. It's only right that we would want to express gratitude and thanks to those who help us. The psalmist has now moved from praying in his pain to now praise because of, his, of God's mercy. Some of us have a struggle in asking for help. And some of us have a problem with saying thank you. Like you're, you're too cool to express thanks. You think it's a weakness. You think you deserve it. But the cure for this person is to remember that you are undeserving. And that again, because of God's mercy, you were treated bountifully, received so many benefits. Our psalmist is so thankful that he repeats this part of the song twice, but there's some subtle changes of what he says in verses uh, uh, 13 in comparison to verse 17. You can look with me there in 17 and 18. He says, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. 
both lifting and offering are, are ways the psalmist wants to express thanks, but, it, but in the context now of praise. Lifting up the cup of salvation is like making a toast. It's a public testimony and celebration of how God has delivered you, and all you can do is kind of like raise your glass to what God has done. The Hebrew is more like, I will take in my hands this gift and raise it to you. You're saying thank you for this gift. And then to compare that to verse 17, to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving is to just bring God a song. That you want to creatively express and tell God how thankful you are to him. But notice that he said twice now that he will pay with, that he will pay his vows. You see, in the same way God saves us from, so that we are saved to something, so does our pleas for mercy and life. We are asking God to preserve us and deliver us so that we can continue walking before him. He's vowing to, to live in obedience. He's vowing to walk in the land of the living in obedience to God. Like Hannah's prayer, she wants a son. Uh, but, but in her trial, uh, uh, it's, it's reorientated to what, what, uh, to what she's praying for, to be fully devoted to God. Like, I do want a son, but, but the need for another worshiper of Yahweh is far more important. You see, it's when we need mercy that we really pray with our priorities in check. That, that, that we really pray for what we really need. We recognize who we are identity-wise to God. Hannah mentions in her prayer that she is but a servant. And that's what our psalmist here understands as well. In verse 16, he says, O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. It's in his situation that the psalmist not only experiences the character and nature of God, but he understands a little bit about himself as well. He's again saved from and also saved to. A child of a servant is born to soon be in the service of, 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 of that servant's master as well. Our psalmist is saying that he wants to be in service. It's a no-brainer for him to be released from something seeking to claim and take your life, to now be in the possession of someone who wants to give, preserve, and sustain life. Being loose is being set free. You and I are all captive to something. And the psalmist acknowledges and, lo and loves that, that, that he is now captive to God. That captivity or servitude to God is actually freedom. God places an easy and light yoke on us that we voluntarily take on ourselves. He is a giver of life, preserver of life. He sustains life. And the reason of that is found in verse 15. He says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. See, God is merciful to his people because he sees their life as precious. That word means highly valued. It's the same word that, that Jesus uses in the book of, of Matthew where he says that God knows the hairs on your head. 
and that you're actually more valuable than the birds and sparrows that God himself feeds. God values the lives of his people. And in the case of the psalmist, his life was spared. But that decision is always up to the Lord. He always makes the right decision when it comes down to it. I love the way Charles Spurgeon puts it again. He says this really beautifully. He says, they, Christians, shall not die prematurely. They shall be immortal till their work is done. And when their time to come shall die, then their death shall be precious. The Lord watches over their dying beds, smooths their pillows, sustains their hearts, and receives their souls. If we have walked before him in the land of the living, we need not fear to die before him when the hour for departure is at hand. For the Christian to live is Christ. We walk before him in the land of the living. We live a life pleasing to the Lord and to die is gain. Absence from the body is presence with the Lord. We are going to the one who loves us most, who will receive us, welcome us, and say well done when we return to him. If God has deemed to extend our life on earth or instead welcome us home, this verse teaches us that God's will is good in whatever decision he makes, since you and I have already experienced mercy. You see, the reason why God can hear our cries in the first place is because of Jesus. You and I deserve every single bad thing that has happened to us because of our sin towards God. We deserve an eternal hell and punishment for our sin. But the good news of the gospel is that God in his love sends Jesus to live, suffer, die, and rise for our sake. Jesus has always had a perfect affection and love towards his father. Even during his time on earth, he was zealous for his father's house. He made sure to communicate who the father was and what his kingdom was about. He was not only betrayed, but he was abandoned. He was denied by Peter. Jesus knew for himself that all men were liars. He didn't say in his alarm. He knew that as God. Even his closest friends and family, they said he was crazy. He was in so much distress and anguish. He mentioned in the garden that his own soul was troubled, that he suffers hematohydrosis, his sweat Blood that the that the that the that the blood vessels that support the, the the sweat glands burst. He didn't so happen to find himself in a situation that just got out of control, but he walked willingly into it, knowing that it would cost him his life. It wasn't a foolish decision; it was a choice that he made. It says in Luke nine twenty two that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Not only did shale creep on him and surround him, but he actually died. They, they yelled at Jesus to save himself, to call upon God to rescue him, but he endured the cross, despising the shame instead. Although forsaken, he knew that he would again be raised to life and walk again in the land of the living. Better yet, on top of that, ascend and be seated with God 
where he is right now. Now Jesus offers us eternal life and forgiveness for our sin. When we confess them to him and ask him for mercy, we can be forgiven because Jesus was forsaken. We've been spared eternal death. Our soul actually deserves to die. And we don't need to fear a physical death because we have eternal life in Jesus. There is a a land in the living where suffering will never happen again. We can experience peace amidst anxiety and distress because he has dealt bountifully with us. He has given us his word, his church, his spirit to be with us during suffering. In Christ, we have every single spiritual blessing. There is a plethora of benefits that God has given to us. And the only fitting response that we have in response to that is affection, dependence, and praise. You see, we all have something that we can cry out to God for. Uh, For some of us, it's pleading for God's mercy for the first time. You need forgiveness for your sins. For some of us, it's pleading for God's mercy for the hundredth time. You're in a situation right now and you need God to intervene for you. And for all of us, even those who are in desperate mercy as well, we all have a song and reason to praise for God's past mercy in our lives. And most importantly, for the gospel and for Jesus. In verse 17 to 19 to close, he says, I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. We have the command here to now sing, to praise God with his people in his house. So we can obey this command actually right now. Because in doing so, we encourage our brothers and sisters of the Lord's mercy towards us. So let's pray uh, together now towards that end. And so, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, Lord, that you give us a reason that we can come to you and cry out. A reason in which we can have uh, affection and love towards you. We thank you, God, that you've never failed. We thank you, God, that you are Yahweh, that you are consistent, that you are faithful. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us in the gospel, that you sent your son to be merciful and gracious to us, at the same time be righteous, that someone could take our place for what we've done. And I just pray, O Lord, that for those of us who do not know you, who do not yet uh, have a relationship with you, who do not intimately know what you have done for them, I pray, Spirit, that you may uh, uh, change them, that they may uh, come to love you and, and, and confess their sins and repent experience your mercy. And I pray for those who do know your mercy, but are in a situation right now, and they're desperately crying out to you, Lord. Lord, you hear our prayers, you hear our cries, and Lord, you will answer. And so, Lord, I just pray that you continue to be a comfort to them and to us, and that we continue to walk in the land of the living, upright, joyful, glad that we are in captivity to someone who loves us. So I pray for this all in your name. Amen.